This past week, Hurricane Ian carved a path through Florida that was unlike anything most of those people had ever experienced. In fact, Ian is said to have been the worst hurricane in Florida's history. Well, we know about hurricanes. Most of us have lived through a number of them. Our hearts go out to those who lost so much during that long day and night. As I was watching these news reports, one reporter said, everyone is waiting for the sun to rise so they can see the extent of the damage. As I think about the terrible storms that I've experienced, I admit, it, I admit that night might be the worst time to go through a storm. I think back to our worst in a while, Florence, and how it was with my family when, we, when the alarm went off and the tornado alert, and there was one in our subdivision, and there we were huddled inside, not being able to see what was happening around us, hearing the wind and rain and the wind that got louder and louder and crashing sounds. It's a feeling of helplessness, of uncertainty. It's a night of desperation, and that's what those folks were experiencing in Florida. That's also what the Apostle Paul experienced on a number of occasions in his life. Today I want to look at one of those nights. Here was a man of God, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, becoming a target of vicious men who wanted to destroy him. Paul, surrounded by Jews who hated him and Romans who did not understand him. And all he had to comfort him was his faith in the transforming grace of God. Was it enough? Well, let's look at this passage and see for ourselves. Acts chapter 23, and I continue the message, Transforming Grace. If you have your Bibles and are willing and able, stand with me and let's honor God's Word for just a moment. I'll begin reading just a few verses. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 23. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day... Some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggested to the commander, the Roman tribune, that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. What a night. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we pray as we begin studying your word today that your Holy Spirit that is real, that is here, that your Holy Spirit, the author of this book, would speak to our hearts the words you want us to hear. The message. Lord, I can... I can preach the truth, but you have to deliver the message that you want each one of us to hear. And I pray, God, that today we will hear very loudly and clearly 
what you want us to know, and we will know what you want us to do. Father, we thank you that you've transformed our lives. You've transformed our destinations by your amazing grace. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray today that others, that others will hear not just these words, but the words that you're speaking to them, and they will yield their lives to you. And Father, that you will make a transforming difference in them, an eternal difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Transforming grace. Now, when we last saw Paul, he was in Jerusalem trying to preach the good news of Jesus to the Jews. For that, they threatened to kill Paul, and they were so vicious that the Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias, had to intervene and rescue Paul from the angry mob. Lysias wanted to know, why are these Jews so filled with hatred towards you, Paul? And so he ordered Paul to be bound and stretched out, publicly beaten, to discover the truth. You know, I'm going to beat the truth out of you, Paul. Well, when Paul was bound, ready to be beaten, he invoked his Roman citizenship. He says, is it legal for you to, to beat a Roman citizen who has who is not been to court? And that shook up the whole Roman system there. I mean, the, the centurion who was over those hundred soldiers, he heard Paul say that. And all of a sudden he said, whoa, stop, stop, you can't beat a Roman citizen, that's against the law. So he told Lysias, the Roman tribune, and Claudius Lysias then spoke to Paul. And he said, are you a Roman citizen? Paul said, I am, I was born one. So Lysias had him removed from that public, that public whipping block immediately, and he brought him inside, and he... He called, uh, he called for the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, made up of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the priests, who were usually Sadducees. And he, and he called them and he said, come and give and deliver the charges against this man. He brought Paul out before them. He wanted Paul to have a safe place to answer their charges. So Lysias brought him out and Paul stood there before them. And then Paul spoke to the Sanhedrin, and he gave them, those Jews, the same gospel that he had preached in Antioch and Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth and everywhere else he went, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, who appeared born of a virgin and lived a spotless, sinless life and then died as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day. And that Jesus, that resurrected Christ, appeared to me on the road to Damascus and called me and said, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he commissioned me, he sent me with a mission to take the good news of his salvation to the world. That's what Paul told them. The Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, these two sects of Jews. And Paul was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees believed in life after death. They believed in angels and spirits, that man had an eternal spirit. But the Sadducees did not believe any of that. When Paul said, Men and brothers, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, 
concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being charged and judged. When Paul said that, that started a real riot between those Pharisees and Sadducees. Because the Sadducees did not believe any of that. They didn't believe that there were spirits that could speak or resurrection from the dead. There was such a fight that broke out. Paul was right in the middle. He could have been killed. But Luke wrote, look at verse 10 of chapter 23. Luke wrote, Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, the, the tribune, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take Paul by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Once again, God used an unlikely ally to protect one of His own and promote His kingdom work. Remember, God is a sovereign God who can do anything, who can control anything, who will accomplish His purpose. The Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The Romans were pagans, worshiping a number of false gods, but they were not opposed to hearing about one more new God. They were not offended by Paul's preaching of Jesus. They didn't care about the followers of the way. All the Roman tribute wanted was to guard the authority of Rome. And that meant controlling the rebellious Jews and protecting Roman citizens of whom Paul was one. So Claudius Lysias sent his soldiers into that angry crowd and took Paul by force into the barracks. God used this Roman tribune to protect Paul. But the threat was not over. A group of 40 Jewish zealots took an oath to assassinate Paul. Paul did not know about this plot, but the Lord did. Look at verse 12 with me. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander, to the tribune, that Paul be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Can you imagine how much pain was in Paul's heart as he faced these dark enemies? From the moment Paul answered the call of Jesus to preach the gospel, he became an enemy in the minds of the Jews. Just think about the suffering he endured as he traveled to those cities, all over those cities of, of his three missionary journeys. We saw how he was stoned by the Jews in Lystra. How he had to escape the Jews by night in Thessalonica. How he was blasphemed by the Jews in Corinth. How he was attacked and arrested by the Jews in Jerusalem. All that he faced at the hands of the Jews. And still Paul wrote in his Romans letter, Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness... That they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul had come to Jerusalem 
to make another attempt at showing His people the way to salvation through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. And what did He get for it? Betrayal. Betrayal. You know how it broke? Don't you imagine it broke Paul's heart to be betrayed by his own people? You know, folks, betrayal is a painful thing. One of the most painful things we can experience. In Matthew 26, we see a, we see a picture of betrayal. The ultimate betrayal. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. Just think how Jesus felt when one of his own disciples betrayed him. It's no wonder Jesus wept. Judas had walked with Jesus, had watched Jesus heal the sick and hurting, feed the hungry, raise the dead. He saw how Jesus loved everyone, even Judas. Why would anyone want to betray Jesus? And yet, for 30 pieces of silver, for a little money, Judas turned against Jesus. Just think, this man who called Jesus friend turned his back on Jesus and sold him for a little money. Have you ever had anything that, like that happen to you? Perhaps you know the pain of betrayal. Perhaps someone who said they loved you or someone you loved turned against you. How did you feel? Judas betrayed Jesus out of greed. He wanted money more than he wanted Jesus. I see that happening today, don't you? In our world? On a large scale, really. How many people do you know who love things? Now just think about all the people you know. Just, just think about, do you know, do you know dozens of people? Do you know hundreds of people? Out of all those people, people that you meet every day, people that you are an acquaintance with, you know something. Of all the people you know, how many people love things more than they love Jesus? You know, friends, it's one thing to say you believe in God, but it's an entirely different thing to really love Jesus. When you love someone... You want to please them. You want to make them happy. You certainly don't betray them. Yet so many people exchange Jesus for other things. They betray Jesus. They prove by their own actions that they do not really love Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 21. Let's read it together so it sinks in. Ready? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Bible makes it very clear. It draws a line and says, If you really love Jesus, you will be doing your best to follow his word. And if you don't, then you will betray him by not living according to his word. Like Judas, many today betray Jesus to live for all the pleasure their fleshly hearts desire. The Jewish leaders betrayed Jesus because they could not follow Jesus and hold on to their selfish pride and power over the people. They hated Paul because Paul represented Jesus. Paul stood for everything good that they were missing. 
And they couldn't stand hearing about the Jesus they had murdered. Betrayal led to the death of Jesus and would have led to the death of Paul if God, by His grace, had not intervened. Perhaps you've been the victim of betrayal. Perhaps someone you love turned, has turned their back on you. You were betrayed because someone who said they loved you actually loved something else more. It might have been a thing, it might have been a person, but they let you go so that they could get, because they, there was something they wanted more than you. That's painful, folks. In fact, being betrayed by someone you have loved is humiliating and devastating. But remember this. If you've ever been betrayed, you're in good company because both Jesus and Paul were betrayed. Now, I know that doesn't make it easier. It's still very painful when someone turns their back on us. But even in that situation, we still need to do the right thing. That's right. We need to follow Jesus even when we're going through the storm of betrayal. And that's what Paul did. He did not lash out and try to do harm to his enemies. He loved his enemies. Even when his own countrymen betrayed him, Paul continued to love them and do his best to reach them. And that's what Jesus said to do. But I say to you, Jesus said, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Paul did not let these evil people drag him down spiritually, and neither should we. Even in the darkest night of his life, when it looked like, looked like Jerusalem might be the end of the line for him, Paul remained faithful to Jesus. Paul stayed with Jesus, even in the hour of betrayal, and Jesus stood with him. The Lord that he loved and he served was right there with Paul. And in verse 11, look what Jesus said, look what happened. But the following night, the, in that night, that terrible night of betrayal, of arrest, of, of false accusations, of judgment, of condemnation, and danger, the following night, the Lord Jesus stood by him and said, Paul, be of good cheer. You know what that means? Cheer up, Paul. What does that tell us? Paul was... Paul was hurting just like we hurt. Paul felt bad. Paul was, in, he was depressed. Jesus said, cheer up, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness of me in Rome. Sometimes we feel when the night gets dark and the storm gets huge, Sometimes we feel that even God has abandoned us and no one cares. Paul could have felt that way. He was in the custody of the Roman authorities, betrayed by his own countrymen, surrounded by Roman soldiers with a price on his head, unsure of what would happen when the morning came. But God knew his future. God had planned Paul's future. And the one who created the world had the power to deliver Paul and accomplish his mission through Paul, and he can do that through us. 
And that's what the night with the Romans was, folks. The night Paul had with those Romans. Again, it was dark. The Jews hated him. The Romans had arrested him. He was there with a price on his head. You know, like a wanted poster. Dead, wanted dead or alive. No, wanted dead. And there he was with those Romans. And that night with the Romans was a time to think about God. A time to realize that God was with him no matter what. That God was still there. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how dark the night or big the storm. God is still there with you. Your night, your dark circumstances are an opportunity to see God, to know that God is with you and for you and has a kingdom purpose that He wants to complete through you, something no one else can do. God has a purpose for you that no one else can complete. He will be with you through every moment of your life. Think about that. Forty evil assassins were a dangerous force, but not for Almighty God. Paul knew that the Christ who had called him had the power to work out his purpose through him. Paul had confidence that Jesus would make sure he completed his mission. As he said to the Philippians, he told them the same thing. This was what was in his heart in Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is such an important principle for us to remember, dear friends. That the God who saved us, saved us with a purpose, His purpose. A purpose that has a beginning and an ending. And as long as we keep following Jesus, no power can stop us from completing that purpose. And that's our grace principle today. If you will, read it with me. Our grace principle. In the darkest of nights, the grace of God promises a new day. Amen. Yes, Paul would have that new day. He had done everything he could to get the message of the resurrected Christ to the Jews. Now it was time to take that message to Rome, the most powerful city on earth, the seat of the emperor of Rome. Now let's see how it happened. Remember, there were 40 Jewish assassins waiting for Paul to come out, of, out into the open so they could overpower the Roman guards and kill him. They had concealed their plot but God made it known to the Roman tribune. The assassins went to the chief priests and, they, and the elders, and they said, Tell the tribune that you want to talk to Paul further, and when he comes out, when he brings Paul out with a few soldiers, we will destroy him. Well, how despicable was that? And by the way, if you think about it, the priests, well, they were Sadducees, not Pharisees. Remember when Paul stood before them before, and the Pharisees said hey, we don't see anything that Paul's done wrong. And the Sadducees were violent. They, they, start, they got so violent there. Well, now, so these 40 assassins went to the Sadducees. <laughs> and they said, have him brought out. And he'll just be a sitting duck. We'll be waiting for him. These priests, supposed to be the most spiritual men in Israel, were going to be partners with some filthy assassins. But... God, listen to me, God always has the last word. Can you say amen to that? God always has the last, the last word. Let's look at verses 16 through 22 for just a moment. 
So when Paul's sister's son heard, what does that tell us? This is Paul's nephew. When Paul's sister's son heard of their plot, of their ambush, he went and he entered the barracks and he told Paul about it. Uncle Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions to him and he said, Will you take this young man to the commander, to the tribune? For he has something to tell him. So the centurion took Paul's nephew and brought him to the commander, to the tribune, and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then Claudius Lysias took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And the, the, the nephew said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you to bring Paul down. So the commander, the Roman tribune, let the young man depart, and he commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. <laughs> Let me say something about these assassins. They took an oath to kill Paul. An oath to not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Now the Greek word here that Luke used for oath is a very powerful word, a strong word. It's anathematizo. And it literally means to bind with a curse. Now, let me tell you what these men had said here. This is how serious it was. They took an oath and they said something like this. May I be cursed forever if I do not kill Paul. That's, what they're, that's their, their oath. May, I, may God curse me forever if I do not kill Paul. Isn't that something? They were dead serious about their plan. But God had other plans for Paul. Let's see what happened. What did Claudius Lysias do? Verse 23. And Lysias called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea on the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter in the following manner, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for this man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, Felix, they also presented Paul to him. Was Paul rescued from his dark night? It was a new day for him. A new day. It was a day of safety. And I'm not saying he was out of the water, but less, out of the storm completely, but he was delivered from that one. Folks, do you know that you're going to face storms all throughout your life? <laughs> we all are. Jesus said, 
in this life you will have tribulations. But be it tribulations, but be of good cheer. Cheer up. <laughs> I have overcome the world. No matter how dark or dangerous our nights may be, God's grace is powerful enough to, to deliver us from the darkness into the light of a new day. Just think of what was up here. On one hand, you had 40 Jewish assassins bound by a curse versus 200 Roman soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, plus a mount for, for Paul to ride. I think God protected Paul pretty well, don't you? Simon Peter said, Just as God delivered Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, read this one with me. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Is that a good verse? Amen? The Lord knows how to deliver you. Natural disasters, terminal illness, financial ruin, constant temptation, loneliness. These are the assassins we face today. Yet God, your God is still greater. The Lord has an army of angels, folks, that He could dispatch at any time. And in the Old Testament, one angel, one angel killed 185,000 human soldiers. And God has an army. He has billions of them. And He could dispatch an army at any time of angels to take care of you, to stand in your defense, and even greater, His own Holy Spirit lives right within you. And greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. Amen? That's God's promise. Now, the point is this. In this life, we're going to have dark days. We're going to face enemies which want to destroy us. Satan, your greatest enemy, is... Uh, listen, he's out to get you. It's, uh, his, Satan's greatest assault is not against your body. Listen, he don't care about your body. He cares about your faith. He does not care if you live or die, if you suffer. He don't care if you're happy or sad. Satan wants to whittle down your faith so that you betray Jesus. That's his agenda. It always has been. He wants you focused so much on the storm that you fail to see the grace of God. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness... You remember, he was hungry after 40 days enough food. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to, be, to become bread. Jesus could have. Took him up to the high point on the temple. If you're the Son of God, jump off. See if God catches you. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get Jesus to betray his father. He showed Jesus all the glories of the kingdom, all the gold and riches. and Satan can control all of that. He said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give all the treasure of the world to you. What was he trying to get Jesus to do? To betray his Father. Folks, that's, God, that's Satan's plan for you. He wants you to be a Judas, a betrayer. He wants you to portray Jesus and anything that has to do with Jesus. That's why He keeps people out of church. He wants to make people so sick 
or too sick to worship together because he knows how important it is. He wants to keep people feeling disappointed and so lonely that they think the Lord has betrayed them. Friends, Jesus will never betray you. He will never leave you to Satan. He is always with you to accomplish His kingdom purpose in your life. But whether or not you go on to Jerusalem, whether or not you go on in the next part of God's plan for your life, that's up to you. Paul could have said to Claudius Lysias, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm not going to Rome. I'm a Roman citizen. They don't have anything to charge me with. Roman Tribune, sir, will you just let me go? And what would have happened if Paul, if he had said, Paul, you can go. Paul said, I'm not going to Rome. If he had stepped out of the door, what would have happened? They would have killed him, right? And friends, we've got that choice to make. We can stay back. We can say, I'm tired. I've done enough. Or we can say, I'm ready to go to Rome. God, whatever you have for me, I'm going. I'm going to not give up. I'm going to, no matter, there's a storm. It's dark. I hear crashing. I'm frightening. I'm frightened. I'm lonely. I feel betrayed. Everything is coming down on me. Do you ever feel like that? That everything's kind of coming, weighing down? I, everything's weighing down, but God, so we're either going to quit or we're going to go. God, I'm not going to quit because I know you're with me. When Paul was in Roman custody and the assassins were after him, they could not kill Paul because Paul never left the side of Jesus. Paul was often persecuted but never defeated. But if he had left Jesus, if he had betrayed Jesus, he would have been destroyed. He would have been open territory to his enemies. Friends, the safest place we could ever be is in the hand of our Savior. Amen? Do you understand what I'm talking about? I like how the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, talking about the Lord, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? <laughs> if you stay with Jesus, folks, what can man do to you? What can a demon, what can anything do to you if you stay with Jesus? Even if his body dies, we have something really great for which to look forward, don't we? And the Lord does not want us to be focusing on the enemy or on the past failures the enemy has caused in our lives or on the past betrayals. The Lord Jesus wants us to look forward to what he has in store for us, whether it is in Rome, you know, this life, or in the royal city of our king. In the future, in heaven, you see, no matter what happens to us, we are winners either way. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are winners either way. Yeah. No matter what we face, no matter how dark our night, just stay huddled with Jesus. 
He loved you so much, enough to suffer and give up his life for you so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life with him in heaven. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough to save you and hold you secure, securely to him, so don't abandon Jesus. Don't betray Jesus. Stick with Jesus, and then when the dark night comes, you'll hear him say the same thing he said to Paul. Cheer up, my child. I am with you, and together we will see a new day. Have you ever heard of the missionary David Brainerd? Anybody heard of him? Some of you maybe have. John Wesley said, If you want to revive the work of God, read carefully the life of David Brainerd. One of the many who heard about David Brainerd and heeded John Wesley's counsel was William Carey. And God used Brainerd's life story to open William Carey's eyes to the need of all races everywhere. And William Carey's kind of called the father of modern missions. And it fired up his heart with a passion to speed the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. It was chiefly the reading of the story of, of Brainerd's heroic missionary labors that caused Robert McShane to become an apostle to the Jews. David Brainer was known as the apostle to the American Indians. He served as a missionary to the Native Americans from 1739 to 1747. After three years of study at Yale Divinity School, David Brainer followed his call and made his way to the Native Americans in New York, particularly a ferocious uh, Indian tribe living in the dense forest at the forks of the Delaware River. He arrived near the camp late one evening and he decided to spend the night in the woods before introducing himself to that ferocious tribe the next morning. He didn't realize that several of them had been following him for hours. And once David Brainerd was settled in, those scouts made their way back to their camp and reported to the chief. That night, those scouts planned to kill this white man because up till now, the white, man had, white men had brought them nothing but grief. So the warriors silently drew near David Brainerd's camp that night. And what they saw was an image they would see many more times in the coming years. David Brainerd was on his knees by a campfire praying for them. According to their report, while he prayed, a rattlesnake squirmed right up to him and lifted its head, flicked its fork, forked tongue close to his face, and then for no apparent reason, glided away into the darkness. Well, this made the chief and the warriors nervous. And instead of killing him, they returned to their campsite. Well, when the young missionary entered the village early the next morning, he received a much more cordial welcome than he had anticipated. And it wasn't until later he learned the strange events of that preceding night. When... Those Indians gathered around him in an open place among the wigwams. He opened his Bible, read from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and tenderly told the story of how God 
sent His Son to die on the cross that He might, might take away the sin from the people's hearts and make them His children. And that was a, me- a message in a text that those Native Americans would hear many more times. And from their first encounter, they, firm- they warmly received His message. Almost every page of David Brainerd's diary tells how he endured hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. His sufferings caused by a diseased and weakened body were intensified by the rigors of life among those Native Americans and his arduous travels throughout the wilderness. His ministry centered on the forks of the Delaware River, but extended through wide areas of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And he served those Native Americans, preaching the gospel until 1747, when he died at the home of Jonathan Edwards who preached sinners in the hands of, the, of an angry God. David Brainerd sowed the gospel seeds and watered them with his prayers and tears. And his ministry not only touched those Native Americans, but was a spark which would move in Jonathan Edwards' heart and in others. And a great awakening came from that man who was on his knees praying for those people who could kill him. And what did God use to protect David Brainer and give him an opportunity to preach the gospel to those Native Americans? What did he use? A rattlesnake. Friends, let me tell you something. God can do whatever God chooses to do. He can protect you any way He chooses to accomplish His kingdom purpose through you. And that's why He will always get you through the dark nights if you stay close to Him. Paul said said it this way. Read it with me, if you will. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Amen? Bow with me. What kind of night are you experiencing? I mean, you may be here and everything's just going great. In your life, you're just happy as you could be. Never been better. Well, hallelujah. Enjoy it. While it lasts. But maybe you're going through one of those dark nights. How has it affected you? Maybe you should look for God in what you're facing. Look, look for Him. Use that time to draw close to the Lord. And know that He is still there. Jesus is still with you. He loves you. He can help you. Are you still with Him? Or have you allowed that night to to lead you away from Him, cause you to abandon Him or betray Him for something else? Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Like David Brainerd, come back in prayer and tears. Call on Him today. Tell Him you're sorry for 
allowing other things to take its place in your life. And make a commitment today to stick with Jesus no matter what. Maybe you need Jesus in your life as your Savior. Maybe you need that relationship started with Him. Well, pray. Jesus died on the cross. He, he loves you. He shed His blood. And you need to receive Him into your life. You need to confess that He is your Savior. Pray with me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank You for dying on the cross for me. Thank You for shedding Your blood to pay for my sins. Thank You for the suffering You endured. I'm sorry, Jesus, for abandoning You. I'm sorry that I have taken the things of this world and put them in your place. Please forgive me. I ask you today to forgive me for all my sins. Come into my heart, Jesus. Come into my life and save me. Come in and move out all that old stuff that's cluttering up my life. And clean me up, Jesus. I want to be a temple in which you can dwell. Thank you, Jesus, for your eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead so that I could have heaven and eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Today I open my life as wide as I can and say, Come in, Jesus, and take me over. Draw me close to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I want to be filled with you. I want you in me and all around me. I'll go anywhere you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior forever. Boy, if you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer you could ever pray. But you've got to have some legs on that faith. You have to, if it was real, you'll follow Jesus now. And I just encourage you to do that. Lord, whatever anybody needs today, you've already spoken, so may your Holy Spirit continue to draw them, transform all of us, Lord, into what you want us to be, so that you might gain the most glory out of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. While we're singing, if I can pray for you or help you, I'll be at the front while we sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, Grace Greater Than Our Sin.